Trusting the Truth with Samuel Tolley, where we view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ and never view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world, where God's truth supersedes the foolish ideas of man, where religion, politics, cultural ethics, and the issues of today are discussed, because that is where we live, where truth and honesty are not subjective, and God's word is the final arbiter. My twofold mission is to present an unapologetic witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to expose the mental chains imprisoning far too many black Americans by the Democrat Party. Well, good evening, good evening. This is Sam Tolley, and boy, did I walk into a hornet's nest this evening. I was watching a, um, I saw an article by a gentleman, and I'll put it up on the screen so you can see it with me, named uh, Virgil Walker. And he made this article, What's the Truth About Martha Luther King Jr.? Uh, you can find it online. There's G3 um, Ministries, or just look up Virgil Walker, What's the Truth About Martin Luther King Jr.? <clears throat> but I'm not going to read his article. I may read it in the future, but not this evening. Because, you know, anytime you start reading articles about a person uh, that someone else wrote, Generally, people will say, well, that's what this person thought, or that's what this person thought, or whatever. And how do you know that's true? Blah, blah, blah. But anyway, after, after viewing the article, it made me do what I think is always the best thing to do, is to go to the source, to go to the individual, uh, to go and look up the works of the person that's being discussed. And so I decided that that's what I would do. I decided that I would take a look at Dr. King's um, writings, or some of his writings. Now, let me tell you this off the top. I am not going to talk about Dr. King's personal life or the accusations about infidelities and all that kind of stuff. That is not what I'm here to discuss. Um, I believe... Um, that Dr. King was a great civil rights leader, that he did a lot of good things that helped people. Um, there's no question about that. And there's obviously no question about the fact that he was a great speaker. There's no question about any of that. My point is clearly what the title is. Was Martha Luther King a Christian? Now, <clears throat> To, 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 to many people, they would think this, this is absurd. What are you talking about? Was he a Christian? He was a Baptist minister. Well, so claims Jesse Jackson. So claimed Raphael Warnock. And a lot of that stuff didn't make sense to me about these people and their positions. And if the information that I've been obtaining is true, I think down the line, it's going to all fall into place and it's starting, at least for me, starting to make a lot of sense. 
there's no way that I'm going to be able to cover this topic in one episode. So God willing, I will come back to this next week for part two. But I intend to explore the question. And some people say, why would you want to question this? Because there is nothing more important for the Christian, the Bible-believing Christian, than the gospel of Jesus Christ and to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and to understand the word of God and to believe and trust in it. There are many people that say they're Christians but do not have a clue what it means to be one. We have so many people that are so willing to walk into a church, to listen to a sermon, to get emotional, say a prayer and believe that they are a child of God or they were told that they're one and that's it. There's nothing else to be done. There, there, there's nothing else to learn. There's nothing else to grow. There's nothing. So it's, it, it's vitally important for Bible-believing people to understand these things. And if a person claims to be a Christian and they represent the faith, it's important for us to understand, okay, was this true or not? Now, I'm not talking about denominational differences. It makes no difference to me whether you were baptized, excuse me, in water, submerged or sprinkled, although I believe in submersion. It makes no difference to me whether you believe in the gifts of the Spirit are still around or that they're gone. If you need to speak in tongues with the evidence, you know, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, those are denominational issues. I want to talk about core stuff that we received uh, during the course of this discussion. And I want to use the writings of Dr. Martin Luther King as his testimony to himself, about himself. Now, if in fact his theology had changed from these articles that I'm going to present, then I, I welcome anybody to show me the changes. But tonight I'm going to present um, an article that he wrote in college called The Humanity and Divinity of Jesus. Now, as I go through this article, I'm going to intersplice my thoughts as we run through it, but I'll leave a copy uh, for you to look at, and you can go online and get this article. Now, this article uh, that he wrote, like I said, was in his second year of Theological Seminary at Crozer, and there's typos in it because it was a school paper. <laughs> this is the school paper unchanged and i'm not going i'm not i'm not concerned about the typos we all make typos and back in 1949 and 50 when he wrote this he didn't have spell check like we have today he didn't have the software that can make these changes the teacher as we'll read is talking about uh him needing to proofread better but that's that's a teacher student thing all i'm concerned about is the basic theological basis of his position as a Christian. Either he is or he isn't. So let's, let me dig into it and I'll start reading the details as stated by, I guess, the preface 
of whoever put the paperwork together. It says this paper written at the beginning of the second term of Davis's course, Christian theology for today indicates King's estrangement from the conservative Baptist theology he learned as a child. And he had done in his earlier outline of William Newton Clark's an outline on Christian theology. Now I'm going to show other things that he wrote, but I can't do it today. There's just not enough time in one hour. King dismisses the concept of the inherent divinity of Jesus and concludes the true significance of the divinity of Christ lies in the fact that his achievement is prophetic and promissory for every other true son of man who was willing to submit his will to the will and spirit of God. By establishing Jesus as human, King allows for the possibility of progressive improvement in earthly society through individual action. Commenting on the essay, Davis warned, you need to proofread your papers before turning them in. So I guess this is his teacher. Note, corrections on page four. Nevertheless, he marked the work a B plus and praised the paper as a solution which would appeal to the liberal mind. It's interesting. We're talking about 1949-1950, liberal theology. Um, I've always found it strange, either you're, in my mind, either you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. The word of God is the word of God, or it's not the word of God. It's true or it's not true. I don't see how you can parse the difference. So let's continue. And like I said, this this is we haven't even got into King's writing yet. Now we're getting ready to get into his his writing. Many years ago, a young Jewish leader asked his followers a question, which was all but astounding. Oh, let me change the page for those that are following online. Excuse me. Whoops, wrong one. Okay, all but astounding. He had work, excuse me, he had been working with them quite assiduously during their work together. He was constantly asking them what his contemporaries were saying about him. But one day he pressed the question closer home. It is all very well to say what other people think of me, but what do you think? Who do you say that I am? Also, at this point, let me ask you, if you really want to dig into this besides getting what he wrote, get a pencil on a piece of paper or an ink pen or something, because I'm going to be giving off a lot of scriptures and I'm not going to flash them on the screen. So I want you to be able to look up what I say. When I call this show Trusting the Truth, with Samuel Tolley. I'm never saying trust in Samuel Tolley's truth or trust in the truth as Samuel Tolley says it. I'm saying trust in the truth. I want to provide biblical positions on everything that I say, hopefully, and you can check them yourself. And you can check what Mr. King, uh, Dr. King said or whatever. But anyway, so when he asked them, who do you say that I am? This is my first point. Matthew 16, 13 through 17. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Christ, being Messiah, being the savior of the world. This is who Peter at that point in time recognized Jesus to be. What did Jesus say? Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Borjonim, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who was in heaven. So Jesus did not rebuke Simon for calling him the Christ. I'm just starting on with his. So let's see. Let's go further. Next paragraph. Um, Dr. King's writing. This question has gone echoing down the centuries ever since the young Jewish prophet sounded its first note. Many have attempted to answer this question by attributing total divinity to Jesus with little concern for his humanity. Others have attempted to answer this question by saying that Jesus was a mere good man with no divine dimensions. Still others have attempted to get at the question by seeing Jesus as fully human and fully divine. This question, which was so prominent in the thinking of early Christian centuries, was not answered once and for all at the Council of Chalcedon. Now, let me warn you, I'm going to mispronounce stuff. So give me some grace because my linguistic skills are nowhere near Dr. King's or many people. But one thing he said, so this question wasn't once and for all at the Council of Chalcedon, but what he didn't say in his writing was at the Council of Chalcedon, they determined or they came into agreement that Jesus is fully human and fully God, that he has two natures, not, you know, that's what they came to that agreement with. And I don't have a problem with that, that he's fully human and fully God. I think the Bible adheres to that. But let's continue. Rather, it lurks forth in modern theological thinking with an amazing degree of freshness. In grappling with the question of the person of Christ, modern Christian thinking is unanimous in setting forth the full humanity of Jesus. Yet, Christians have not been willing to stop there. Despite all the human limitations of Jesus, most Christian thinkers have been convinced that God was in Christ. To be sure, thinkers are often in conflict over the question of how and when Jesus became divine. Well, this brings my second point of scriptural reference that I want to throw out here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things and in him all things consist. So I don't know why Dr. King took this position because there is one thing that is absolutely clear and I'm not trying to make a pun. Jesus, if he was before all things, he cannot be one of the things he was before. Either, he, I mean, he said he created all things, right? So if he created all things, then that leaves no more room for him to be anything other than God himself. Think about it. And all things consist of him. He maintains all things. Continue with Dr. King. But as to the presence of the divine dimension within him, we find little disagreement in Christian circles. At this point, we may turn to a detailed discussion of the humanity and divinity of Jesus. Um, the fact that he was in Bible college in 1949-50 means nothing. This information should be clear who he is. I'm talking about Jesus. And I was talking about, uh, obviously, Dr. Martin Luther King. Because it's not hard. It's not... Um, difficult if you study the scripture. I was reading uh, Arrhenius's book Against All Heresies earlier today. And it's, it's, it's interesting when I'm, you know, I was reading what he said, the church dispensed, this is chapter 10, a part of chapter 10 in this book, the church dispersed through our, the whole world, even to the ends of the earth, has received from the apostles and their disciples this faith. She believes in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them, and in one Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, who became incarnate for our salvation, and in the Holy Spirit who proclaimed through the prophets the dispensations of God and the advents and the birth from a virgin and the passion and the resurrection from the dead and the ascension into heaven in the flesh of the beloved Christ Jesus our Lord and his future manifestation from heaven in the glory of the Father to gather all things in one and to raise up anew all fresh of the whole human race in order that to Christ Jesus, our Lord and God and Savior and King, according to the will of the invisible Father, every knee should bow of things in the heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess to him and that he should execute good judgment towards all, that he may send spiritual wickedness and the angels who transgressed and became apostates together with the ungodly and unrighteous and wicked and the profane among men into everlasting fire. But may in the exercise of his grace confer immortality on the righteous and the holy and those who have kept his commandments and have preserved in his love. Some from the beginning of their Christian course and others from the date of their repentance and may surround them 
with everlasting glory. Now, this was written around, I don't know, around 180 AD or something. So, so anybody want to sit here and talk about, well, Dr. Kane was just a student in school. I don't, you know, please, you got to come better than that. But let's, let's continue while he want to talk about the humanity of uh, Jesus. If there is any one thing which modern Christians have been certain, it is that Jesus was a true man, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, in all points, tempted as we are. Now, here we're going to go with three words that I can't pronounce that well, but I can give you the definition. Dosius, Yucachans, and mono, monocytes, errors. Now, the dociate is a heresy believing that Christ did not have a real or natural body. The Yucatan, and like I said, please forgive me, believes that the divine and human persons of Christ were blended into one nature, that human nature and that God nature blended into one. And the monocytes believe that Christ only had a divine nature. So these, these, these three errors were rejected, which he states, um, which explains the way the humanity of our Lord, all three, all, you know, all three of these errors, which explain the way the humanity of our Lord have now been jettisoned, be all serious theological thought. Theologians of all shades of opinions have declared that in respect to his human nature, Christ is co-substantial with ourselves, meaning he's just like us. I mean, he's a human being. And I don't disagree um, with the fact that he had a human nature, just like us. Let's see here. Let's move on to the next page. Uh, Okay. We need only read the Gospels to attest to the fact that Jesus' genuine humanity, there is not a limitation that humanity shares that Jesus did not fall heir. Like the rest of us, he got hungry when at the well of Samaria, he asked a woman who was drawing water for a drink. When he grew tired, he needed rest and sleep. He learned, like I said, that there's typos in this because this was a college paper. He learned obedience. We are told in the way we must learn it. When his disciples were unfaithful, it was very cutting to his heart. The blindness of the city he longed to save moved him to tears. In the garden, he experienced the normal agony of any individual in the same situation. On the cross, he added to all physical tortures, the agony of feeling God forsaken. And I don't, I don't doubt any of this because he had a human nature. And we'll get into a little bit of this other stuff. He's talking about, uh, anyway, let me continue. Notice how the unknown writer of the epistle to the Hebrews speak of the humanity of Jesus. Nowhere in the New Testament is the humanity of Jesus set forth more vividly we see him agonizing in prayer. Um, this is Hebrews 5 and 7. 
embracing the cross with joy and faith, Hebrews 12 and 2, springing from the tribe of Judah, he passed through the normal development of human life. Learning obedience, even as a son, by the things which he suffered, and that's five and eight, and like all other men, he was tempted, yet no corrupt strain existed in his nature to which temptation could appeal. In other words, saying they, they couldn't find any sin in him. Okay, so far so good. Here we find a frank emphasis of the humanity of Jesus, paralleled nowhere in the New Testament. Then he goes on to say, again, we may notice that Jesus was by no means omniscient. His knowledge was essentially limited by human conditions. So God, one of the natures of God is he's, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. You know, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. So he's saying that Jesus was not omniscient. So Dr. King is using this as a vehicle to say that he, that, that he wasn't God. Well, let's Let's look into that omniscient point. And one of my notes was MLK was correct to a point. Those were clear examples of Jesus not knowing certain things. However, there are also clear examples of Jesus displaying omniscience. And we look at John chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. This is when Jesus is uh let me make sure i know what the heck i'm talking about oh okay this is when he's getting ready to go meet nathaniel for the first time he says the next day jesus decided to go to galilee he found philip and said to him follow me now philip was from bethsaida the city of andrew and peter philip also found nathaniel and said to him we have found him whom moses and the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. How do you know that? Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. He knew Jesus didn't have no way of knowing that. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, let me give you another example about when Jesus met the woman at the well. Um, you know, the same woman that Martin was talking about, Jesus asked for a drink because he was thirsty. In the course of their conversation, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered her, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. 
what you have said is true. None of the disciples knew that. I mean, when they were going through Samaria and they stopped it, and he stopped at the well, I think they were going to get him some food or something. They didn't know this woman. He didn't know this woman, not in the human. But he said over there, he said over there and said, Yeah, yeah. You got you had five husbands. See, we normally we don't even normally focus on his omniscience and this. He you got five and, and, and the dude you with now ain't even one of them. I'm just trying to show a parallel here or a difference of opinion from what Dr. King stated when he says, and again, we may notice that Jesus was by no means omniscient. So let's get some theological uh, notations on his omniscience. According to Thomas C. Oden's book, Classic Christianity, this troublesome point is greatly illuminated by the triune premise and confusing without it, the troublesome point about Jesus' omniscience. Divine Logos eternally experiences full awareness of the cosmos. Yet, as incarnate Logos united in Christian humanity, he has become voluntarily subjected to human limitations, ignorance, weakness, temptation, suffering, and death. As eternal son, he is equal with God in knowing and foreknowing, but in the mystery of his humiliation, he is servant, obedient, willing to be vulnerable to time and infinitude. So in other words, you're saying, look, Jesus is God, but he has that human nature, and he has a God nature. And when he decided to come down and take on flesh, he subordinated himself to the Father. And in many points, he did not use his divine nature. I guess it, and this is me, not the Bible or something. Maybe it seeped out at the well. I don't know. But apparently he knew. Now, in Norman Geisler's book, wherein critics asked and referring to the example of Jesus not knowing the time of the second coming, because, you know, Jesus says nobody knows the time, not made the angels, only the Father. He says, we must distinguish between what Jesus knew as God, everything, and what he knew as man. As God, he was omniscient, all-knowing. But as man, he was limited in his knowledge. It's one of the fantastic things about the incarnation, the God-man. I mean, to have this nature of a man, but to be God Almighty. I mean, this is, this is some kind of stuff that we're not going to really be able to fully grasp or understand until we meet the Lord in the by and by. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this, this is, this is, this is, this is amazing, you know, uh, we need to think about that, but uh, you know, we'll get this out of the way, okay? Let's continue. Ah, so okay, according to Dr. Martin Luther King, Jesus was not omniscient. This fact was set forth as for back in 1912 by a notable theologian, H.R. McIntosh. 
In dealing with this question of Jesus' omniscience, he stated, the question can only be decided solely by loyalty to facts. And these, it is not too much to say are preemptory. Not only is it related that Jesus asked questions to elicit information regarding the site of Lazarus' tomb, for example, or the number of the loaves. You remember when they were talking about, well, let's go see Lazarus. You know, Lazarus is sleeping. Jesus said he's dead. Isn't that before they came up there and said that, when he said, let's go see Lazarus? Um, or the name of the Dominic uh, Garrodine. But at one point, there is a clear acknowledgement of ignorance of that day or that hour, he said, respecting the parousa, like I said, the second coming, North no man, not even the angels in heaven, neither the son, but the father. If he could thus be ignorant of a detail connected in some measure with his redemptive, and we already explained that, I believe, but I'm going to continue with the article. Work, the conclusion is unavoidable that in secular affairs, his knowledge was but the knowledge of his time. I don't think he was using the word secular like we are, but he was saying non-biblical affairs. Anyway, let's continue. Again, we may notice the human character of our Lord's moral and religious life. His religious experience was in the human realm certainly he had a human faith in god okay in this human realm he had faith in god i'm not questioning that at all as dr bally has so cogently stated our lord's life on earth was a life of faith and his victory was the victory of faith his temptations were real temptations which it was difficult and painful for him to resist. Okay, let's get down past these footnotes. Jesus overcame his temptations not by reliance on some inherent divine dimension, but by the constancy of his will. So we are moved to conclude on the basis of preemptory evidence that Jesus shared fully our human life. Okay, we'll continue. I'm not going to make a note here. The divinity of Jesus. I guess Dr. King's going to try to get in there. After establishing the full humanity of Jesus, we still find an element in his life which transcends the human. To see Jesus as a mere good man, like all other prophets, is by no means sufficient to explain him. Moreover, the historical settings in which he grew up, the psychological mood and temper of the age and the house of Israel, the economic and social predicament of Jesus' family. All these are important, but these in themselves fail to answer one significant question. Why does he differ from all others in the same setting? Any explanation of Jesus in terms of psychology, economics, religion, and the like must inevitably explain his contemporaries as well. These may tell us why Jesus was a particular kind of Jew, 
but not why some other Jews were not Jesus. Well, Jesus was God, but Dr. King apparently doesn't believe that, and the liberal mind doesn't believe that, so I can understand his point or his thinking. Jesus was brought up in the same condition as other Jews, inherent, the same traits they inherited, and yet he was Jesus and the others were not. The uniqueness in the spiritual life of Jesus has led Christians to see him not only as a human being. No, it's not the uniqueness in the spiritual life. It's what the Bible teaches. Uh, but as a human being surrounded with divinity, prior to all other facts about Jesus stands the spiritual assurance that he is divine. As Dr. Brown succinctly states in a recent book that God was in Christ in the very heart of the Christian faith in this divine human person the ever reoccurring atomony of the universe is presented in a living symbol it's like a contradiction the atomony they're trying to figure out the the god and the human um the atomony of the eternal and the temporal or the infinite and the finite of the divine in the human. As stated above, the conflict that Christians often have over the question of Jesus' divinity is not over the validity of the fact of his divinity, but over the question of how and when he became divine. This I think this is the second time he's brought this stuff up. How, how he became divine, how he became a second God or God-like, the more orthodox question, excuse me, the more orthodox Christians have seen his divinity as an inherent quality metaphysically bestowed. Jesus, they have told us, is the pre-existent logos. He is the word made flesh. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is very God, a very God of one substance with the Father, who for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate be the Holy Ghost of a Virgin Mary. It's the gospel. That's the gospel right there. Look what the next statement he said. Certainly, this view of the divinity of Christ presents many modern minds with insufferable difficulties. He just quoted the God. And oh, by the way, the, the, the bold type is me. Those, the bold type was not him. The highlights in yellow was not him. It was just a regular uh, paper, but I, 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 I was wanted to emphasize these points. So, so he didn't have the, any, any place where you've seen the bold type, I did that, or the highlight. But he just quoted gospel. Let me go back and, 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 and go to the scripture. In the gospel of John, uh, you know, one through four, in the beginning was the word, the logos, pre-incarnated. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is God. It's stated in it right there. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Isn't that the exact 
thing we talked about in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he made everything. And if he made everything, he cannot be one of the things that he made. And if he's not one of the things he's made, that means he was already God already, period. Verse 4, and him was life. And the life was the light of man. And you can go on on down and you can get down into chapter third, uh, 3, 16. And we, we can just continue, but I don't... I, that's not where I'm going right now today. So I don't want to get too excited. Um, I want to get through this article. Um, but anyway, it's, it's amazing to me that he's he's stating gospel and then he's rejecting it. Let me go back. Certainly this view of the divinity of Christ presents many modern minds with insufferable difficulties. Most of us are not willing to see the union of human and divine in metaphysical, in a metaphysical incarnation. Most of us are not willing. What has us willing got to do with anything? Either the word of God is true or it's not. And if it's not true, why are we bothering with it? Yet amid all of our difficulties with the pre-existent idea and the new, excuse me, and the view of supernatural generation, we must come to some view of the divinity of Christ. Some view? In order to remain in the orbit, I'm thinking in orbit, of the Christian religion, we must have a Christology. As Dr. Bell has reminded us, we cannot have a good theology without a Christology. Okay, theology, the study of God, Christology, the study of Christ, you know, of Jesus. You know, I'm just simplifying the terms. Where then can we in the liberal tradition find the divine dimension in Jesus? It's obvious to me that in this school or his teaching, and, and then when we first started this, he said he rejected, didn't it say, uh, he rejected his, his, his Christian, um, blah, 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 blah. okay, this paper was written at the beginning of the second term of Davis's course, Christian Theology for Today, indicates King's estrangement from the conservative Baptist theology he learned as a child. So this teacher said he knew what the gospel said. Question is, was he turned on himself or would this liberal college turn him to rejecting it? Where he's finding himself searching to find a divine dimension in Jesus. He says, we may find the divinity of Christ not in his substantial unity with God, but in his filial consciousness and the uniqueness of his de unique dependence on God. Filial uh, means like his God, like his son, relation, like a son relationship. Like we got this family uh, relationship. Well, let's think about this millennial, or if I'm pronouncing it right, son consciousness for a second. Okay, let me finish this little highlighted part first. It was his feeling of absolute dependence on God 
as Shalom Maker would say, that made him the line. Okay. Jesus always had this relationship with the Father. You know, his, his relationship in the pre-incarnated state before time and matter uh, was there. I mean, you go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Excuse me. Can you hear that? Okay. The same yesterday, today, and forever. You go into, you look at Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11. Now check this out. I'm talking about this familial, this, this relationship and the deity at the same time. For my own sake, this is Isaiah 48, 11. You need to write this down. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So this is God speaking in Isaiah. My glory I will not give to another. Right? Go to John chapter 17, verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, how do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile that? God just said in Isaiah 48:11, and I can go to many more examples but i'm not trying to do that today on this that I, he, he gives us glory to no one and then jesus says glorify me with the glory i had with you <laughs> and he's talking about this 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 this, uh, this thing that dr king is so light compared to what the text says. And, and that's another thing I'm noticing about this article or this paper that he wrote. You know, he mentions a few scriptures in Hebrew when he's trying to express or talk about the, um, the humanity of Jesus, but he's very light on biblical foundation, if he has any. Matter of fact, his strongest point was pointing out the gospel, which he gave nothing for. Let's continue. Trying to stay within my time frame. Okay, yes, it was the warmest of his devotion to God and the intimacy of his trust in God that accounts for his being the supreme revelation of God. All of this reveals to us that one man has at last realized his true divine calling, that of becoming a true son of man by becoming a true son of God. It is an achievement of a man who has, as nearly we can tell, completely opened his life to the influence of the, <coughs> excuse me, of the divine spirit. What I get from that is he's saying, wow, Jesus, he did it. He's a man and he passed the law. He did the whole thing. He, he's given us an example. Maybe some of us could do that. I don't see how, but anyway, we're almost at the end of this. 
Thank the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Let's get down to the end of it. The Orthodox attempt to explain the divinity of Jesus in terms of an inherent metaphysical substance within him seems to me, this is Dr. King talking, quite inadequate to say that the Christ whose example of living we are bid to follow is divine in an ontological sense is actually harmful and detrimental. In other words, he's saying for me to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh is harmful and detrimental. For me to believe that he has a divine nature and a human nature is, is, is problematic. This is a rejection of the gospel. To invest this Christ with such supernatural qualities, <coughs> excuse me, makes the rejoiner, oh well, he had a better chance for that kind of life than we can possibly have. In other words, one could easily use this as a means to hide behind his failures. His failures. I want somebody to please tell me where Jesus failed, because I missed that in all my Bible studies. I missed any failures of his. I need to know that I'm, I'm really looking forward to somebody showing me where did he fail? Wow. So that the Orthodox view of the divinity of Christ is in my mind quite readily denied. The true significance of the divinity of Christ lies in the fact that his achievement is prophetic and promissory. That was what we read in the beginning. For every other true son of man who was willing to submit his will to the will and spirit of God. How come he isn't saying that we are believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and accept him as appropriation of our sins, that his blood sacrifice will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I haven't seen any of this in here. He's talking about like, I need to keep striving forward. He could do it. Maybe I can too. I mean, that's the way I'm getting it. Christ was to be only the prototype of one among many brothers. Can you do it? I can't. Lord knows I can't. I can't even think like that. The appearance of such a person, more divine and more human than any other, and standing in closest unity at once with God and man, is the most significant and hopeful event in human history. This divine quality or this unity with God was not something thrust upon Jesus from above, but it was a definitive achievement through the process of moral struggle and self-agnegation, meaning denying himself. This what do you say? This divine quality or unity with God? 
Lord have mercy. I have one more set of scriptures. I want to talk about this unity, this device. In the book of Exodus, Moses um, finds the bush, or God leads him to the bush, or whatever way you want to call it. Moses sees the burning bush that isn't being consumed. And he goes over there to talk to God in this bush. And in verse 13, it says, And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So God told Moses, let them know. They said, well, they said, who? Oh, okay, you represent God. Who is he? He says, I am. That's who he is. I'm representing I am. Then we go to the God. Then we go to the Gospel of John, chapter eight. Jesus is, you know, having a conversation with these um, Pharisees, and it's a really great conversation. You should look it up, John chapter eight. But I'm gonna start at verse fifty-six. Jesus said. Your father, this, he's talking to these jokers, you know, they because they, they, you know, they're giving him a hard time. He said, Look, your father re Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. These people said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it, hold it. The Jew said to him, You are not 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. Now remember. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. Abraham was around before Moses. Abraham was the dude that was in Genesis in, in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was way back in them days. You know, and so they said, they said, wait a minute, come on. You ain't seen Moses. You ain't that old. You ain't Methuselah or or, or any of them early Bible characters in Genesis, you know. So Jesus told him, he says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And, and so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid, him, hid himself and went out of the temple. Why did they throw stones at Jesus? because they knew exactly what he was saying. When he told them before Abraham was, I am, he invoked the divine name on himself. He was saying that I'm God almighty. That's what he said. So when Dr. King is sitting over here talking about uh, this divine quality or unity, he apparently either didn't understand or rejected the clear counsel of the Bible. I'm not going to reject the clear counsel of the Bible for anybody. I'm not going to do it. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm not here 
to try to destroy Dr. King's civil rights legacy. I'm not here trying to destroy anything. I'm here to try to present facts. And frankly, I decided that this is only part one because the more I see, the more needs to be put out there. And we've been, uh, how do I say it? Information has been withheld for various reasons. And I, you know what, I, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not the first person to know this stuff. There's a whole lot of people know this stuff. And I think a whole lot of pastors know this stuff, but they don't want to touch it. They don't want to touch it. They don't want to offend people, you know? You know, they, they, they don't want to offend the masses. They don't want to offend folks that, 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 that long for this legacy that Dr. King developed or, or whatever. But my thing is, I don't want to defend God. Once I was exposed to this information, I had no choice. This was not my plan for this week. But once I seen what I saw, like I said, when I when I read that article, and then I had to start digging, because I'm not going to just run with somebody's article and bring it out to the public. And once I started digging, I started seeing that I, like many others, just assumed because he was a Reverend Dr. King, the Baptist minister, that he believed the Bible, that he was a Christian. And I think we make that mistake with a lot of people. We don't know their theology or if they really have a theology or whatever it is. And to me, there is nothing more important this side of heaven than getting heaven right. <laughs> you know, if we don't have the right Christ, then we don't have the right theology. If we don't have the right belief, then we're sitting over here wasting our time. And we can't afford to waste our time. This is a finite amount of time. We need to get our theology right because God is looking. And for folks that teach, don't think that I'm naive to, to, to the understanding that those who teach are required even more than those who don't. So I try my best to make sure I know what I'm talking about because the day is going to come where I'm going to have, I'm gonna have to give an account for every word. So I, I, I trust that this information was helpful. I pray that you look over the scriptures Review the documentation, you know, pull it up yourself. Don't trust me. Trust the truth. This is Sam Tolley, and I'm out. If I can get myself out of here, uh, there we go.